The Climate Papers, the COP26 Universities Network podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Climate Risk podcast, brought to you by Cambridge Zero and the Grantham Institute for Climate Change and the Environment. In this series, we talk to academics and experts working across the field of climate risk and explore what these risks mean for us, for decision makers, and crucially for our policymakers and politicians. Today, we're talking about heat and more specifically, the sort of extreme heat that we have all just experienced. My guests are both well-placed to discuss this as they are experts in the effects of weather extremes on our lives and how we cope. Dr. Anna Raquel Nunes is an Assistant Professor in Environmental Change and Public Health at the Warwick Medical School, University of Warwick. She has over 20 years experience working in public health in universities, hospitals and the World Health Organization. Her research focuses on environmental change and public health, and it's particularly in relation to human vulnerability, resilience and adaptation. Anna, welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you for the invitation. My second guest, Ross Thompson, is a principal environmental public health scientist within the Extreme Events and Health Protection Team at the UK Health Security Agency. He has been involved in the planning for and responding to heatwaves for over seven years and is currently studying for a PhD at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, looking at individual level risk modifying factors during periods of high temperature. He's recently been extremely busy. So Ross, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Great, thanks for having me. And obviously you've been really busy over the last few weeks um, as we're recording this just after the the recent heat wave in the UK. But before we get to talk about our main subject, which is heat and heat waves and extreme events and how communities cope, could, could I ask you maybe to outline for listeners why this has happened? Why have we found ourselves in this period of extreme heat with, with temperatures nudging 40 degrees? Because it's very uncommon in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and I suppose without going into all the physical science of, of atmospheric chemistry and everything, um, I think we, we have a very good sort of understanding that since the Industrial Revolution, we've been pushing out a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which uh, essentially traps heat, um, the the greenhouse effect, um, essentially. And since, I'd say, uh, mid-20th century, we've actually seen our average temperatures going up and up and up, this upward trend. And that closely tracks with carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, Again, we have direct measurements of that. And we can actually go all the way back into the ice age um, where with ice cores digging down, we can see thousands of years in the past and actually have direct measurement of the atmosphere at that time. And we can see, we can track that carbon dioxide and temperature over that period. And and we can see that we're we're heading towards a period that the earth hasn't really been at, or at least while humans have been around anyway. And yeah, I think the trends that we've seen over the last decade, decade and a half, where, you know, the the t- 10 highest temperatures that we've observed have been in that 15 years period, and things are just going up and up. And even if we were to cut emissions now, there are there's a certain degree of warming that's already cooked in, essentially. So this is something that we are, are beginning to see on a regular basis, and we're going to have to deal with going forward 
whether or not we we manage to reach that net zero. So we we we're locked on this path, really, aren't we? From what you've been saying, with the you know the temperatures are increasing year on year. Um, it's likely that these these extreme events, if we can call them that, you know, these 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 heat waves, these impacts of very high temperatures, we're going to have more and more and more of them. Um, because yeah. a lot of people have been saying, oh, well, we've had a heat wave before. And actually, this what we've just experienced is completely new to us, particularly in, in the UK, isn't it? I mean, I know that the, in other parts of mainland Europe, there've been a, a heat waves, certainly last year, there were very high temperatures. So this is new to us in the UK. So are we just catching up with the effects of climate change or is it just because of where we are geographically that it's just taken a bit longer to hit us? Well, I think reflecting on recent years, um, sort of experience of heat waves that we've had and sort of the conversations um, that we've had with Met Office colleagues in terms of when the these events are kind of forecast, the discussion about 40 degrees, um, although we've we've seen that this year and it's been record breaking, it, it hasn't been all that unexpected. Um, for the last couple of years, 40 degrees has really been seriously considered a, a possibility. And I think in terms of our, our geographic location in, in the UK, places where they have higher temperatures, they're going to be more adapted to those temperatures. Whereas here, you know, we we're used to, I guess, overcast <laughs> conditions, rain, and then we have all of a sudden these 40 degree days. It's, you know, it, it's a shock to the system. Um, and it is about that kind of previous experience, um, which we just don't have here. And that adaptation is really important in kind of human terms, isn't it, Raquel? I mean, that's the, been the focus of your work is what these, you know, extremes of, of, of temperature, both heat and cold, do to us as individuals and people and, 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 and in terms of our health and things. Um, can you just explore for us a few of the things that you've been looking at and, and what you think it means for or what you found that it means for, for people and their, their well-being? Absolutely. And I completely agree with um, what Ross uh, mentioned about experience and uh, and recollection uh, as well, because it, it does help uh, thinking about what is happening in the present and uh, and and looking back and uh, and and figuring out what what happened in the past and what are the things that can be done in the present. Um, so as as you mentioned, uh, Amanda, uh, my my work has has focused uh, on uh, how uh, heat. Um, affects health. And we know that there are some groups uh, in society that are more affected by by heat. And those include, for example, uh, older adults aged 65 and over, uh, children, uh, chronically ill individuals, pregnant women, and um, also individuals living with a low income, and also those uh, uh, that are homeless, for example, uh, and also um, some types of medication. Um, But we also know that um, within these groups, there are individuals that um, have faced uh, these impacts more than others. So my interest in um, 
in vulnerability came from these differences. So um, since uh, 2003, uh, the European uh, heat wave, we've been looking at mortality and, and morbidity uh, related to extreme heat. And what we saw was that, yes, these groups um, uh, have faced more um, uh, negative uh, consequences, in both in terms of disease, but also in terms of, of death uh, toll and excess uh, uh, deaths. But some individuals, um, as, as I said before, will have uh, more impacts than others. And my interest was, what are these sources of vulnerability? What are the factors um, apart from physical uh, characteristics um, that um, have an influence in, in the impacts we, we are seeing? Um, so I, I, I looked at uh, a number of um, uh, assets and in, in this case, um, I, I looked more in terms of what are the human uh, aspects and assets that uh, can be related to impact. And these um, assets, uh, in, in this case, human assets could be related to education, for example, knowledge mm -hmm. of, of heat, uh, also skills, um, health and, and well-being, uh, living arrangements as well. So if you live alone, if, um, if you, you live with someone else, the type of occupation you have, because if you work outdoors, uh, the impact of heat will be uh, higher than uh, if you work in a in an office with air conditioning. Um, another type of asset that I looked at was financial assets. So individuals that have higher income, uh, higher savings, have access uh, to credit or um, have higher um, expenses, they will have different ways of dealing with, with heat. Um, another category of, of assets includes physical assets. So the type of, of housing uh, you live in, uh, if you live in a flat or uh, if you are a, a homeowner uh, or you're in a rented accommodation, uh, also the type of appliances you have, if you have a fan, uh, if you have um, access uh, uh, to affordable energy or not, um, and also transport links. Um, so these are types of physical assets, but there are also other types of, uh, of assets such as uh, public uh, and place-based uh, assets. And these include access to green spaces, for example, uh, to uh, access to uh, trees, being able to um, access uh, these places safely. Um, and also social assets. And these include uh, how well connected you are with, uh, uh, with your uh, the family or your neighbors, your local community, if you're part of uh, groups or associations, also your marital status. If you're single or widow mm -hmm. or if you're married, that uh, has an influence on, on, on your social uh, assets uh, in order to be able to... Um, deal with uh, with extreme heat so can, can i can i ask you because you've just you've just described a particular kind of cohort of our society and and immediately there were parallels in my head with the impact of covid because that group you know again was more vulnerable to the impacts of the pandemic and more less likely to, to get support more likely to to have covid and possibly have negative longer term impacts so there's a really so so finding that group of very vulnerable individuals 
is that difficult? Because it seems to me there's parallels there across socioeconomic spheres. You know, we're talking about it's the same group of individuals that we talk about in relation to other climate change impacts, in relation to poverty, in relation to food security and scarcity. It's that same group of individuals that we're talking about here, isn't it, who are particularly vulnerable across all of those um, those societal changes and 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 areas and deprivations. Absolutely, Amanda. I think it's um, it's a very holistic approach. It is a a whole of society problem. And as uh, with COVID, um, from my point of view, uh, heat uh, only exacerbates existing inequalities and ex- existing uh, societal uh, problems. Um, so if it, if we're dealing with COVID or if we're dealing with heat or if we're dealing with flooding or cold, um, we, we will be looking at all of these assets. And that, that is why I think it's such an interesting approach uh, to, to have because, because it encapsulates so many issues that we are dealing in, in our society. And we can, by dealing with and addressing assets, we can be solving so many problems at the same time, instead of just thinking, oh, we're just looking at extreme heat and and forgetting all, all everything else that is happening. Uh, so absolutely, if, if more and more of us uh, start thinking about uh, these types of assets and how are, they are linked to uh, everything and and anything um, we would be able to to deal with uh, existing and also future crises that we might uh, be facing. Mm. We need a real multi-agency joined up piece of thinking here, don't we? Across both health providers and and and, and social care, and also into policy, and you know, and and we're probably not talking about huge numbers of people, are we? Just it's we're talking about the same group of people again and again in relation to to, to, to many of the same issues and, and housing, interesting that you mentioned housing, because that's a real key factor here, isn't it? Both heat and cold. Ross, a, lo- a lot of your research work is in, in this space too, isn't it? Looking at the at the, at the kind of individual aspects of, of, of modifications in relation to heat. H- how does that pick up on some of the things that, that Anna's been saying? Yeah, so I think, Anna, uh, I think the, what, um, that you know that that really demonstrated the complexity of of you know what is happening and if i if i kind of take it back a step to the heatwave plan for england um, and in general heat health action plans across the world one of the key recommendations within that is to identify individuals who are at risk for the acute stage and we've had sort of lots of user engagement, end user engagement, people on the front line. And there's a sense that identifying individuals is, is really difficult. And because, because of that complexity of, you know, the, the social factors and, you know, we, we don't necessarily have very good data on, on that. Um, and there's this, I think, a lack of information or, or, or literature on the individual level drivers of, of risk. Um, so my the piece of research that I'm working on is trying to use uh, clinical records at the individual level to really drill down on understanding sort of what chronic diseases contribute the most to that sort of 
overall risk. So we, we've seen in other areas of medicine, the development of these risk stratification tools. Um, so I think QCOVID is probably a really good example that was developed during the pandemic to identify those individuals who were most at risk of hospitalization or, or death. Uh, we've also seen them developed for uh, diabetes patients who are, who are most at risk. So the idea of this project is to kind of look at clinical records. What can we learn from the data that we do have that might flag individuals who are at high risk? We, you know, we, we don't necessarily know what type of house they're living in, which will influence their overall risk. We don't necessarily know what their social uh, aspects are. You know, are they, you know, do they live on a top level flat? Um, do they live in a basement? Because that, again, will influence their overall risk. We don't necessarily have that. So can we use the clinical data to flag those people? And then, you know, we can then sort of make those individual level interventions during the acute phase. But I think in terms of the social aspects, that's where this whole strategic adaptation and and multi-agency working really comes into play. And so at, at UKHSA, we're actually moving away from a single um, sort of heat wave plan for England and cold weather plan for England. And we're trying to bring all of this together into one resource, which will be a, a single adverse weather and health plan. And sort of the rationale behind that is, is just that, you know, there's overlaps in terms of hazards. There's, you know, when thinking about the uh, weather that we've just had, we've had this intense heat followed by thunderstorm warnings. And with that thunderstorm warning, you know, that could lead to potentially flash flooding. It could also lead to episodes of thunderstorm asthma. Okay. So this is, this is a, a, a phenomenon that has been uh, observed uh, since I think the early 80s. And there was a big event in Melbourne in 2016 where the emergency services were just overrun um, by patients presenting with severe asthma. Uh, symptoms. And there were 10 fatalities associated with that thunderstorm event. Um, and essentially, it's a uh, grass pollen gets whipped up okay. into the atmosphere. And because of all the moisture, the pollen grains explode. You'd associate and, asthma with, with, a, with dry and, 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 and high pollen, wouldn't you? Not, not with yeah. wet. So that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then that, those fragments fall down to the population. People breathe them in and there's yeah. that uh, yeah. asthmatic allergic reactions. Yeah. So there's these cascading hazards and, 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 and risks. And so I think that complexity of overall risk and sort of the adaptation to future sort of events, I, th I think sometimes it, it's difficult to look at sort of the acute and the adaptation, I guess, together. Usually they looked at apart, but I think we need to start bringing those together, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, well, we we absolutely do, don't we? And, and Raquel, what you're doing is 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 that intersection between the you know between the the, the the knowns and the unknowns, but also you know actually understanding understanding health and risk together, and looking at you know you use the word holistic, and that's a really interesting really interesting approach. I think bringing those things together and trying to get the research and the discipline and the practice aligned which must be an enormously difficult task but but you talked about assets and, and 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 you know which is really sort of personal social living conditions and other things isn't it if we have that information if we have that data ca can we can we tie it up with with a 
with a plan that prevents the things happening rather than a plan to solve the problems after they've happened. Because so much of our health system is about, you know, is reactive, isn't it, rather than proactive. So with the work that Ross is doing and the work that the UK Health Security Agency are doing, can we actually start being a bit more preventative using the sorts of information that you've got? Or would that just be beyond our capacity in the current climate? Absolutely, Amanda. And I I have been... uh critical about um, uh, some some of these issues and uh, one aspect is is also meet the media and how the media portrays uh, uh, heat waves and uh, one of the things that I have been battling is uh, although physical health is really important and understanding uh, what is happening um, with our body and uh, what characteristics makes us more uh, physically uh, vulnerable um it i i my my point of view is that we we need to shift from a, a solely uh, medical model of uh, of impacts and and have a more social model of of health one that obviously includes the the physical health but takes into account all all the other things that uh, an individual in in the, their daily life uh, faces um so when in in my work and taking into account this this view what i saw was that some individuals might be very vulnerable because they they don't uh, they live in a rented house they can't change their single uh, glazed windows they can't put uh, blinds external blinds for example mm-hmm. uh, they can't uh, uh, move because they might not have uh, enough income uh, to to do that but in other ways they they might be really resilient because despite all these problems, they might be looking at other ways they can cope better with heat. And that might include um, being well-connected with their community, having neighbors, knowing what to do in in the case of extreme heat, where are cooling centers or places where they can go when their house is really really hot. So yes, knowing what are the... Uh, different types of vulnerability and and things. There are things that can be changed and others that can't be changed. But highlighting and having a, a profile of uh, different individuals that are facing uh, problems with uh, housing or with income, but then highlighting the things that they can do if if they have not already uh, done that in, in the past and experience, as, as we've mentioned before, is really important. So in my work, I did find that um, a lot of individuals were really vulnerable, but they were also very resilient because despite not having the assets, they understood the risk they were facing and they found ways of dealing with the, those vulnerabilities and also um, uh, found ways of, of reducing and, and making themselves uh, more able to, to cope with, with heat. So just because you, you live in a, in a very hot house doesn't mean you will be really impacted by, by heat because if you go to a cooling center or a library or, or even a supermarket, for example, I think the, during this heat wave, the best place to be was in the supermarket because they were so cool. So having that information, what can we do? 
if um, we are facing extreme heat. I think that message is really, really important. Just to jump in on that, um, I think another aspect which we, from from sort of the the response side of things, are are looking at increasingly is sort of the behavioral aspects of all of this. So how do we make those messages in a way that people receive them? So we know, um, for example, that there is this sort of um, lack of uh, understanding your own risk, particularly amongst people who are 75 plus. And, you know, everyone is different. So one 75-year-old may not have the same vulnerability. And I think Raquel has really kind of shown that complexity really well. Um, but we need to start thinking about how do we deliver these messages? Cause it's not enough just to say, you know, you shut your windows during the day and open them at night. There's, there's other ways we can, we can get that information across. And I think that also plays into sort of the alerting system that, that we, um, that we have and, and work with the Met office on. And it's, it's almost not enough to say that there's a heat wave coming. You need to do stuff. We need to be able to articulate that in a way that resonates with people, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and that's definitely something that we want, that we are working on um, moving towards. And I would have thought that would be absolutely vital because I was I was struck by your, your comment, Raquel, you were saying about people can be resilient and they can adapt. But but a lot of the time, some of the messaging and the and the reality of, of, of extreme impacts of climate change, of which heat is one, it caused huge amounts of anxiety. And, and, and that's really disempowering for people, particularly if you're in that very vulnerable group or you're in that cohort of society where you've got very little choice and options. You know, you, you don't work in an environment where it is air conditioned or you cannot have access to, to cooling in your own home. And as you say, you might not have blinds. So, so, so the, the danger with the messaging is that we want to make sure that people take the right steps to protect themselves but equally we don't want to create such anxiety around climate that that we cause you know greater uncertainty for people and and greater difficulties but also you know paralysis because we're so anxious we don't know what to do next so so that kind of messaging is obviously really important to the work that you're doing Ross in terms of this the the planning and the alert systems can you just tell me a little bit more about the health security agency and is is this a multi-agency things is associated with the 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 health authorities i mean how how does it work where does it sit in our kind of planning perspective so um the uk health security agency is um sort of the 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 uk agency for public health and health protection um and our our team our remit is really sort of the operational leads for responding to and planning for extreme weather so uh, we kind of sit across heat waves, cold weather, flooding, um, drought, believe it or not, is a thing in the mm. UK. Um, yeah, it is. Some, and, and other essentially adverse weather um, events. And so I, I mentioned the heat wave plan and the cold weather plan and this move towards a single adverse weather and health plan. And these are really sort of um, best practice guidance. So our our role is really to provide that um, sort of look at the evidence base, make sure that it's up to date uh, and we can work with with local partners because we don't know the local context of everything. And it's really for local organizations to develop their own response plans. But one of the things with this move towards um, a single adverse weather and health plan is that we want to expand the focus from being about the acute response 
mm-hmm. and actually make it more about sort of that strategic adaptation side of things. So bringing together other parts of the system. So, you know, our role wouldn't be to solve everyone's problem, but the role is to kind of flag the fact that heat risk crosses housing, crosses urban planning, all of these sort of cross-sectoral things. That's how we really get the biggest win out of all of this. And, and again, coming back to heat, we know from the epidemiological evidence that actually the biggest burden on health occurs at sort of more moderate temperatures because we have more of those. So, mm. you know, these are low impact, but high frequency sort of events. And then every now and again, we have these really extremes and yes, they will be impactful. Um, but when you look at it over a long period of time, the majority of that burden actually is at those moderate temperatures. And we, we can't be responding to every single day where it's 25 degrees outside. So yeah, I guess we say what do you consider moderate? I mean, moderate for now when we've had forty, suddenly twenty-five yeah. seems cool, doesn't it? But but it's sustained. It, it, it happens more frequently, and it's at a more sustained level, isn't it? And because it's yeah. that, I guess we don't respond in quite the same way. We think, gosh, just it's hot, not yeah. it's too hot to go out. It's unsafe to do this. We should be taking, you know, mitigating action to and, and, yeah. and adapting to, to 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 keep ourselves well. Exactly, exactly, and 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 that's why we. This the new single adverse weather plan is that that's the aim of it is to kind of bring all of this together and bring everyone together so that everyone across agencies and government departments understand how all of this links together and so that we can actually take those appropriate steps towards you know better housing regulations and 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 that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this bleeds out into policy, doesn't it? And the need for better policy making and more long-term policy thinking and planning as well, doesn't it, Raquel? And also possibly we haven't talked about the role of the individual communities themselves. And um, what what can communities do and, and how can they be supported to take community action? You, you, your, your fantastic example of, you know, somebody who may have a very hot house but may have a very good community social network to support them. What can communities do collectively to, to, to respond to, to adverse weather, particularly mm-hmm. heat? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And going back a, 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 a little bit, just, uh, yeah, highlighting that siloed work uh, doesn't work in in this type of, uh, of events. And more and more, we, we need to see more intersectoral work. And mm. uh, despite more of the work being done in terms of heat being health related, more and more we need to see housing, we need to see um, infrastructure, we need to see transport uh, uh, in the same room, talking about, um, in this case, extreme heat, and and also including individuals and, and communities. It can't be just a, a top-level uh, approach and, and design uh, for solutions. It needs to be inclusive, and it's, it also needs to be... Um, bottom bottom up and uh, some of my work has been on how individuals see uh, their vulnerability their resilience and their capacity uh, to adapt and as as has already been mentioned most of those that are more at risk don't see themselves as uh, as vulnerable That's um 
it's it's just a human. Uh, we we don't we don't see ourselves vulnerable to many different uh, uh, things. And um, what was interesting was that um, I worked with uh, older adults, so sixty five uh, plus, and that's one of the groups that they don't see themselves uh, uh, vulnerable. Uh, but despite uh, that, and what was interesting uh, uh, to find uh, was that um, when asked about uh, adaptation opportunities, so things that they could do or um, that others could do in order to uh, uh, allow them to cope better with um, with extreme heat. Again, it, it came all, uh, again uh, about um, assets. And uh, there are so many examples of, of how they see themselves uh, adapting better, but how local authorities or policymakers uh, can can help them uh, doing that. So, for example, one of one of the things that was mentioned was about um, uh, lifelong education and knowledge. Uh, sharing and and learning and communication through the media because they, they did they did say that yes I, I hear in in the radio on TV oh, all the people uh, you should do this X Y uh, or, or Z because you are old uh, and they say but I don't feel old I'm yeah. quite fit so <laughs> yes. they sixty five isn't old <laughs> exactly so they wouldn't really listen to to mm. those uh, uh, types mm. of of advice but if if there there were other other types of, of advice in terms of of housing how to adapt their mm. their houses how to for example and this more a uh, top level thing uh, how to improve uh, urban urban planning so make landlords um, uh, and uh, agencies uh, to enforce building standards. So improve insulation, uh, changing mm-hmm. um, single glazed windows for double glazed windows. Um, also creating, uh, in terms of local authorities, creating more shade, improving the, the quality and the safety of green spaces and blue mm-hmm. spaces, because some of them would say, yes, I have a park nearby, but it's not safe. I don't mm. feel safe going there, mm. uh, either in mm. the morning or in the evening. And if people live in big cities, there's the um, uh, urban uh, heat uh, island effect mm. W- mm. that is particularly um, um, huge at uh, in the evening if the temperatures don't mm. uh, don't go down. And if mm. someone wants to go to a park uh, or go for a walk, if they don't feel safe, they are s- trapped in their hot yeah. houses. Uh, yeah. So there are a lot of, uh, of ideas that also includes uh, local activities for uh, older people during these summer months and, uh, uh, and also examples from uh, different parts in, in, in Europe where local authorities have lists of, uh, of vulnerable people that live in a specific area and they contact them or uh, specifically during uh, during a heat wave checking on how they are so those more, more vulnerable those that are uh, uh, housebound that don't have uh, anyone that live alone that don't don't have uh, social contacts and, and that have specific specific health conditions so th- there are a lot of ideas and and this has been this work has been uh, published. So yeah, I think it's just picking up all, all these li- these different um, 
types of evidence and and bring them together uh, also bringing different stakeholders at live different levels so that they can contribute and 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 make real real change mm-hmm. i mean it seems like we we know what the solutions are just as we've known what the solutions are to to, to climate change for so long I, I, are you hopeful both the view that this that this this kind of you know everyone's been saying the media is saying oh the wake up call and are you hopeful that this really extreme heat that we've just experienced the 40 degrees will be enough to actually tip some of these decision makers policy makers into changing the situation because we know that we need this joined up thinking there's going to be a price tag um but more of it's to do with actual coordinated working isn't it and thinking and planning are you hopeful that we might actually be able to make the change that we need now Ross, I mean, this is you're at the sharp end with the agency, uh, it, it, or is it just here we go? We know, you know, we know that they're vulnerable groups. We know what to do, but but A doesn't talk to B, and then nothing gets done. I think first of all, let me just apologise for my dog. <laughs> and that's um, okay. We love dogs on the podcast. Um, yes, I I think I am hopeful. Um, I think you know we're there's there's a lot of focus on climate change now that perhaps there wasn't five years ago. Um, I think, you know, having COP uh, last, was it last, last December? Yeah, uh, last, feels like yeah, a last long year. time ago. Feels like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was only last November. Um, yeah, I think, I think that has kind of boosted sort of activity. Um, and yeah, I think from, from my experience anyway, there, there definitely is more going on. Um, I would say uh, across government departments, we've had more contact um, about different things, climate change in general, uh, than we've ever had, which I, you know, is positive. It means there's more to do, but you know, at least there's something happening. Um, and yeah, I think I think climate change is. It doesn't seem to be a debate anymore, which I think is is a massive positive. And and yeah, I think overall I am positive. I think there's there's a, a lot to do, and there's a lot of organizations that we still need to get fully involved. But I think I think we're we're taking steps to get there. Definite. Yeah, and Raquel, are you, are you hopeful? Yeah, I, I can a say a bit. I, yeah, I, I am. I. I just think that there are so many competing priorities um, nowadays that um, because extreme heat is 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 very seasonal uh, and uh, for example in, in this country doesn't happen or hasn't happened every but, year but a lot of the things that you were talking about apply for cold as well don't they in terms of particularly housing and the need for social contact and supporting vulnerable adults I mean you know it it works for both ends doesn't it of the of the temperature spectrum it does it does and and that comes to to the point of of having multi-hazards plans and preparedness so looking at different different types of, of hazards and 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 combining them in a way that we can address the sources of, uh, of vulnerability that uh, have uh, common uh, uh, roots uh, for example uh, heat um, drought 
uh, also wildfires, uh, but also as, as Ross mentioned, yeah, heat and, and cold, they also have very, very common um, root uh, causes for, for the, the impact. So yes, I am, I am hopeful. Um, I, I, I just want to see more, more action and, mm. uh, and actually um, uh, seeing that uh, despite the, in the increase in frequency, intensity uh, of, of heat waves in this case, that uh, uh, we can have less impact in terms of, uh, of mortality and, uh, and mm. morbidity and that we can empower individuals and, and communities to do more for, for themselves, but also have uh, uh, decision makers and organizations and, and top level um, action to to help them be be able to uh reduce their their vulnerability yeah yeah absolutely well thank you both absolutely fascinating discussion and 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 really interesting to get both you know kind of the, the, the perspective and, and insight from your research raquel but also ross you know applying that in a way that you know planning properly for us to, to be more resilient as communities so so my, my thanks to to both my guests to to Raquel and Ross thank you for joining us thank you it's been a pleasure thank you very much again thank you and obviously to to, to Ross's dog who made a late entrance um, uh, you've been listening to the climate risk podcast brought to you by the UK University's climate network do visit the website where you can subscribe to the series and catch up on previous episodes. Thank you for listening and goodbye. The Climate Papers is brought to you by Planet Pod Productions and sponsored by the Grantham Institute at Imperial College London.